invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're in this uh, series on just one more. And um, th- today, is, as we're talking, it's interesting, Ken's here because it, it totally ties in with this message. Um, Adoniram Judson, if you've ever heard of him, he is what many would call like the father of modern missions. And he was this Brit uh, called to go, uh, had this heart to reach uh, Asians. And uh, the times that he lived in was very much like what uh, Kim was describing, where uh, countries or Christians would export and bring in not just the gospel, but their culture. And so evangelism looked like someone dressing like an Englishman or Englishwoman. Uh, evangelism looked like them learning English. Evangelism looked like them singing songs in English style with English words. That was evangelism and learning about Jesus that way. And Adoniram went there and he's like, this is dumb. Like, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you go and, and become like them? And so he literally started to dress like the people he was reaching. He actually learned their language, which is unheard of. Dressing like them was unheard of. He actually did his hair like how the guys did their hair. And the church, he had a lot of churches drop him because it was unheard of. Because culture and the gospel were so tied together and culture had become so godly. You couldn't, you couldn't separate the two. And Adoniram was just like, how am I going to reach these people? Why am I going to ask them to become like me? Why can't I become like them? And if I become like them and speak their culture and their heart language and, and, and come in when, when none of this is really unbiblical or godly, it's just culture, why wouldn't you do that? He started his own mission society because, well, nobody wanted him. And it exploded, and missions took on a whole different understanding after that in Western Europe. It exploded, and everybody started to go, wait a minute, he's doing something here. We need to pay attention to, but it took a while. A.B. Simpson, um, he's a guy who started our denomination. He didn't really want to start a denomination. He's actually from a mainline church church. Uh, Successful pastor, um, took two churches and they grew. Uh, but the problem with, with A.B. and the churches was A.B. had this passion as he's seeing refugees and he's seeing the poor and he's seeing immigrants and, and all of these people that aren't Christian, have no Christian background or whatever, and he's trying to bring them in. And the church, well, the, the church had culture, right? The church, you know, they rented pews and you, you got your little fire thing or coal thing so you could stay warm and, and those pews were passed down family after family, and so you just knew that you didn't sit in those pews because somebody else had the right to those pews, and A.B.'s like, look, I got poor people, I got people who are cold, they got nothing, come on in, and it started to create all this friction, and they're like, you can't do that, they've got to clean up, they got to become different, they got to be like us, and, and A.B., after a while, is just like, this isn't working, and so He didn't set out to start a church. He just set out to reach people and ended up starting a church and a denomination out of it. And he didn't want to start a denomination. I mean, the denomination started after he was dead. He's like, I don't, we don't need another denomination. We just need the Christians to get together to reach this world for Jesus and to do it in a way that's culturally relevant. And he actually, one of the biggest things that was kind of the thorn in the side of the church was he liked, he, he said, look, you gotta, you gotta write music, you gotta speak the heart of people. And so he said, popular music is the heart of the people. 
And so he would take popular tunes of the time and then rewrite Christian lyrics to them. So it would take, he would take like Bieber, right? I mean, he'd take Taylor Swift songs and he'd write Christian lyrics to that and sing him at church on Sunday morning. Now, if that offends you, if you don't even know who Bieber is, well, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Um, but can you imagine? That's, that's how radical the guy who started this denomination was. And some of us may be sitting there going, I don't know if I'd be comfortable with that, taking, taking someone that doesn't even know Jesus, taking their song, their tune, and writing words to that, and then say, can you do that? Is that legal? Can God? And Amy's like, popular music is the heart of the people. If we're going to reach people, look, if it isn't, if God says, if God says, don't do that, then you better not do it. But if he's silent on it, free game. Let's go. And ended up having to start our own church. Chuck Smith, more recently, fast forward 100 years, uh, 1960s and 70s, Chuck Southern California guy, and, and the surfer culture, the hippie culture of SoCal was just exploding, right? And churches did not want it. Didn't want anything to do with it, right? Because they're wearing the tie-dye, and they're in robes, and they're just like, hey, man. And you didn't talk groovy in church, dude. And, and Chuck was all about it. And he started to bring them in, and the church didn't want it. I mean, these guys, the, the hippies would come in, and they'd have their long robes on, and they wouldn't be wearing underwear, and they'd be just kicking their feet up on the pews. And the Christians are like, ah, you got to get them out of here. And, oh, this is horrible, and they're ruining, and they're unholy, and they're, you know, they're so disrespectful. And Chuck's wife, I was talking to somebody after the first service, Chuck's wife actually said, well, let's take the pews out. Then they can't put their feet up. And so they got rid of all the chairs, and everybody had to sit on the floor. And it exploded. All the hippies are like, cool, dude. And they just started bringing all their friends in. Because here was a church that didn't make them change because pews are neither holy nor unholy. They're just pieces of wood. But somehow pews became biblical. I, I, I don't know why we do these things. And that started Calvary Chapel. In Calvary Chapel, you may not know it, it's big on the West Coast. It's huge because they reached hippies and they spoke hippie. We're in a series where it says one, just one more. That's the title of it. It comes from that moment at the end of Jesus' public career, ministry career, where he's teaching the world, you know, I've come to save the world. And he's in this last moment of the public ministry, John 12, where he shouts out the, the message of the good news. Like he's shouting it above the, the confusion and, and this crowded temple courtyard. Just one more. You can just see it in him. Like you can hear it in that moment. And so that's the title of this thing. And we're just talking about this call that God has put on our heart that every church who really is rooted in, and grounded in the word of God would have this as part of their mission statement somewhere in there. But we're connected as, at Freshwater. We are connected to God's heart to reach this world. That is our mission. And out of that, as we reach this world and we go for just one more, there's, there's values that drive that. And so last week we talked about how people need time. And this week, we're going to talk about how people need po or relevant, relevant or cultural relevance, rather. I just got it all wrong. People need cultural relevance. And it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 
And what's happening in there is there's people starting to come into church that are, are starting to mess up everything. All these people who, who don't know Christ are coming in and, and, and they just don't know the rules and they don't know what's supposed to be holy and, and how to behave and what's sacred and what's not. And they're starting to get in all these fights. And, and what Christians are starting to do is they're starting to make these rules. Oh, no, 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 no. This is how you're holy. And oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that anymore because that's really bad. And we're making all these rules. And so Paul says this. He says in verse 19 of chapter 9, for though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Just one more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, as this caveat because people are like, oh, you're going to walk away from the Bible. It's like, nah, being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all peoples, that by all means I might save some. Just one more. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessing. He, he rolls through this conflict that's going on in chapter 8. Actually, it's just throughout. It's kind of woven throughout the, this letter, this first letter to that church. Uh, and, and they're trying to figure out, so as Christians, do we do the whole Judaism thing and get into their ceremonial laws and the civil laws? And Paul's like, no, you're free from all that. Like, Christ set us free from all. He didn't set us free from the moral law. But if you read through the Old Testament, there's a civil law and there's a ceremonial law for how you're supposed to worship. He's like, we're free from that. If you, if you want to do that, if that helps you as, a, as someone who's coming out of Jewish faith, fine. But it's no requirement anymore. The problem was they were making it a requirement. And then you had other people who were coming, at, you know, in this culture where they, they would go to the marketplace to, to buy meat. And, and there were often places that they would actually sacrifice the meat and, and dedicate it to the idol and then they would go and sell it. And there was this whole thing, oh, you can't have meat that's been offered to some idol and everything. And Paul's like, well, like, if, if you don't know about the meat sacrifice, if you don't know it, like, don't worry about it. Like, if you didn't know that and you have some, fine. If you find out, you might not want to eat it because it may make somebody else stumble. But it's this whole conflict of, of what's culturally relevant and what's not. And Paul, at the end of the day, says, look, I'm going to become like the Jew to win the Jew. I'm going to become like the Roman to win the Roman. So Paul goes into Jewish context, and guess what he does? He talks about his Judaism. He talks about his background as a trained Pharisee and all this stuff. Why? To win the Jews. When he goes to Rome, he quotes, if you read in Acts, he's quoting Roman philosophers. He grew up as a Roman citizen, so he knows the Roman philosophers. He's going in there, and he's speaking the Roman language. He's speaking the culture of Rome. Why? So he might win some people from Rome. To the weak, he becomes weak. To the strong, right? He's going to become all things. Whatever culture he's in, he's going to learn how to adapt and embrace anything and everything of that culture as long as it's not, as he says, violates the moral law of Christ. It's free game. Cultural relevance is really hard because everyone is, is, has a different line. So someone coming out of a certain lifestyle, they're coming out of it, and God is saying, you can never go back to that. And then they watch other people embracing pieces of that lifestyle that for them, they were never, it was never a struggle. So like, what's the big deal? But for that person, it's like, oh, no, no, there's so much connected to that. I can never go back. 
And it's this thing of a personal conviction, the spirit leading a someone and saying, yeah, for you, yeah, that, that's gonna trip you up. You can't go there. And for a lot of other people, it's like, yeah, use it, fine, great, no big deal. Church is forever wrestling with this. And not only that and what, what it means personally, but also the church is often declaring things as sacred and holy that are just tools and are instruments that God has used to probably bring us into his presence. But they're just tools. A pew is just a tool, right? It's not holy, but some people think a pew is holy. An organ? I mean, organs used to be of the devil. That's the funny thing. Like the, the church here in the last 40, 50 years, if you're coming new to the church, you're like, what? This is a thing? Like, what? It is. I'm sorry. It's just welcome to the mess. Um, but the church is, it's trying to figure out, do we do guitars? Do we do, you know, all this new rock music? And, oh, the organ's the sacred thing. Back when the organ was invented, everybody thought it was a tool of devil, right? Like it was evil. It, it's, it's all relative. You can't have that in there. It's supposed to be sung. Only worship is sung just with your voices. And then, well, if you go back to the Old Testament, they actually had drums, and they actually had guitars. They called them sitars, and they, they weren't as cool as our guitars. But uh, they had guitars. They were playing stringed instruments. No, oh, you know, with the little thingy. Paul says, I have become all things to all people so that by all means, right, all means I might save some, which means everything's on the table. Everything's on the table. Think about that. Everything's on the table. So as we think about this, this idea, our church leadership, you know, we've done this philosophy of ministry that has our mission statement, our vision statement, our values, but we also tucked eight statements in there that we call our operating principles, and it's the thou shalt and the thou shalt not. You almost have to speak with like a British accent. It just sounds so much better. Thou shalt not do, oh, sorry. Um, these are the operating principles of our church. One of those operating principles is up here on the screen. If you could throw it up there, uh, E.B., that'd be great. Um, A.J.'s his first name. It's not his last name. Anyway, cultural relevance, it says this, that we will pursue understanding the times and do what we need to do. So this comes out of this passage in 1 Chronicles. There's like this group of people in, in Israel who were known, they were famous for being culturally relevant. They understood the culture, they understood the times, and they could say, hey, this is what you need to do. That's actually a Bible verse. And so we've put that as part of our operating principles as we want to be known as a group of people who understands the times and does what needs to be done, or right, do what we need to do. That's one of them. Second thing is we are committed to reaching emerging generations. Third thing, we will establish a model of ministry that is able to pivot quickly. <clears throat> we don't want to take 50 years or a century to make a decision. We want to do it. And we will not be bound by traditionalism. Just a second. 
So here, here's, what, here's where this takes uh, some skin for fresh water. So uh, tw- 19 years ago, uh, this church, this was happening here before I ever got here. So I came in here, the church, the average age is around 50, 55 years old. And, and they looked at me, I was 32 years old, and they said, we want to go young. And I mean, I, I was 32, I thought I was old, right? And it's all relative. And they're like, dude, you're like my grandson's age. Um, so we want to go young. And so they hired me four months later. We hired Steve Wiggins. He was 24. I mean, he couldn't even rent a van. I mean, we always made fun of him. Um, it was the funniest thing. And so he's like, Dad, can I go rent a van for like a youth event? I'm like, yeah, I'll go help you, son. Um, <clears throat> but what the church did in that moment is they said, look, we, we, are, we are not hitting culture. We're completely missing culture, and we're going to go for it. And so they hired two young guys, full of passion, full of energy, <laughs> and very little life experience and life wisdom, which was great because we had an older group that would keep us from doing dumb things. Um, and we just went for it as a church. It was a great partnership. And, and we dumped, I don't know, we, we dumped maybe, uh, I think it was around 80, 100 grand into the building. Could somebody give me a drink of water? Um, there's some water in the fridge over there, Mike. Is that cool? Oh, well, forget it, Mike. <clears throat> well, there you go. Thank you. Just a second. So they, they pull us in. We go young. We go young with the music. <clears throat> they're more con- cultural, and they're like, great, let's do it. Better sound system. Started doing all those things. Changed the name of the church. Got rid of the pews. Ah, I make all these things. Like changing the name of the church, that was big. Like, why would you change the name? But the, the name was just, uh, it was a Christian Missionary Alliance or Wadsworth Alliance Church. And, and every person that wasn't a Christian was going, what is Alliance about? Like, it's just so creepy. Like, what is that? Like, Star Wars? Like, <clears throat> I just was tired of talking about the name. Like, just give me a name that's not in the way. So we changed the name of the church. We got rid of the pews. We just kept going, like, let's go young, let's go where the culture is. So they come in and they go, oh, this just feels normal. I don't have to change to come through these doors. This just feels like something I would, yeah, music I would listen to. People are normal. I remember the first Sunday we did communion, all the elders came in and they all had ties on. And I'm like, dude, you guys are all wearing, I I didn't get the memo. I'm like, why are you all wearing ties? Well, we have to wear ties. It's Communion Sunday. I'm like, why do you have to wear ties? Because it's Communion Sunday. Well, because that's what we do. And I'm like, well, do you like to? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, I don't either. And so they all took off their ties, and we never went back to ties again. Um, and, and that's the piece of this, the heartbeat of the church, even when I got here, was let's, let's go for this. Let's go and let's make, make sure that we're culturally relevant. And so I want to just talk a few minutes, in the few minutes that we have left, I want to talk about this idea of where is our culture. A big picture, this is what we need to understand. Our culture is no longer a Christian culture. We've been grieving that. We've been watching that happen. It is a post-Christian culture. It's a secular culture, folks. And we've seen, you know, the, the average attendance has gone way down in churches. And, and forever we were saying, oh, the church is a mile wide and an inch deep because it's just a cultural thing. You know, we're kind of grousing about that, like, oh, you know, everybody's just kind of faking it because it's culturally. Well, guess what? That's gone now. So now we're like a mile deep and, you know, or a mile deep and an inch wide, right? 
Because now everybody's like, oh, I guess I don't have to go to church anymore because it's not the cultural thing. So it, it is what it is. Uh, in the past two months, I've had four of you come up to me and say, I've had a conversation. I just had a conversation with someone in their 20s or 30s, never been to church, doesn't have a Bible, doesn't even know what, one of them says, doesn't even know what Jesus is. Not even who. What is Jesus? <laughs> like, there's a culture. It just is. We need to understand that. So if they're coming in, the average person, your, your Gen Z, which is maybe your 20-somethings and down or something like that, or 18 and down, they ha- it is post-Christian. They have really no biblical reference at all. Millennials are right there with them. Gen Xers have some. That's, that's my generation. But you're talking about all the generations that are now coming up have no point of reference for Christ in the Bible. It's important to understand that as we think about what we're doing here, if we're supposed to reach one more. So as we're talking, and some of you maybe you're coming in, you're trying to check out the church, and you're like, why is this guy talking about this? <laughs> it may seem weird to you. Well, it's important because we, we want you, if you're newer to our church and you're just trying to figure out Christ or Jesus and Bible, like what is all this stuff? We, want, we don't want hurdles. We don't want barriers. We want you to be able to come in and go, oh, okay, that makes sense. So here's some pieces that, uh, that we could change or maybe things to think about. This is going to be one you're going to go, really? Um, so the word evangelical Christian, this is a freebie. I would drop that. Um, I'm no longer calling myself an evangelical Christian uh, just because Jesus says you don't have to call yourself an evangelical. It never say that in here. And how many of us even know what evangelical means? Right? So evangelical has been co-opted. It is now this loaded voting block persona thing that a lot of this culture looks at and thinks is weird or scary. And if you want to keep it, you can. I don't care. I just tell people I love Jesus and I follow the way of Jesus or I follow Jesus. Or I'm a Christian. We can do that. But uh, we're just, if you notice, we don't say that word evangelical much anymore just because the culture at large is like, that is weird like, what is that? Or that is strange, or that's a... And, and if you don't know what I mean, if you're old enough to understand a fundamentalist, every, everyone ever heard of the fundamentals, or fundamentalist, right? The fundamentalist was this whole movement back in the 50s and 60s. Well, the church eventually dropped that. Why? Because the same thing that's happening to the word evangelical. It, it gets all sideways, and there's just too much baggage with it. Freebie, you can do what you want to with it. I'm not using it anymore. It doesn't mean I don't follow Jesus. I've not abandoned anything about that, but that title to me, when I start to talk to non-Christians and those people out there that have nothing to do with Christ and they hear that, it comes with all kinds of baggage. And frankly, I really don't want to have to talk about all that stuff. I'd much rather talk about Jesus uh, than what all that means. As we look at culture and relevance and what does that look like, look like here in our church. Um, another piece, um, another piece we talk about, you know, when A.B. Simpson says, Popper, the music is the heart of the people, he's willing to use whatever of culture or ever tools, whatever tools of culture to, to lower it or to, to get rid of hurdles, to, to touch people's hearts. And so what you see up here, like this, this 40, 50 years ago would have been unholy. 
This would have been like, oh my goodness. Like, I can't believe you do this. Back in the 70s, like most churches, are you kidding me? Like, you can't do this. And now, how many of you here worship the Lord this morning? How many of you got into God's presence? There's nothing unholy about a guitar. There's nothing like evil about electric guitar that's amped up. There's just, there, there isn't. It's just music with a speaker and it sounds different. I think one of the things that we missed the boat on, that we're finally on, is you know this last year we dumped about 60 grand into getting online. Uh, welcome all you who are watching online right now. We should have been doing that years ago. But why didn't we, Scott? Well, because this is the hard part. Cameras represent something. Cameras represent production. Cameras represent like, oh, now you're going to be that kind of a church. Or you know what I mean? Like, oh, tell me, tell me I'm not wrong, right? Like cameras and production, we have this stereotype or that's part of the world or that's part. And there's warnings in the Bible, right? We don't get here, you know, making rules because just on our own, the Bible says, hey, don't love the world or anything in the world, right? If anyone loves the world, right, or anyone is a friend of the world, they're an enemy of God. So you got these warnings in Scripture, like you don't want to become like the world or love the world. So it, it isn't without warrant that we get here. The cameras, we should have been doing that 15 years ago, 20 years ago. There's churches that saw it and said, this is where culture is going or culture is, and they have jumped on it. And they've exploded. Why? Because they spoke the language of the people. And they realize, hey, this is going to get into people's homes. And so now we got it, and great. Welcome. Good to see you guys online. But we're even learning as we go, because the last two Sundays, we didn't do any music. And uh, we had, I had somebody who was checking out our church, um, trying to just figure out who Jesus is and, and, and all those things. And I, I, you know, I was talking to them, and they said, um, do you guys do music at your church? Like, it's just, as I've watched the services online the last two weeks, you guys don't have any music, it's just you. And he's like, that's kind of weird. Like, don't you do something? I'm like, isn't that funny? So even as we're thinking about all of you online, we have to make sure this is a service that's representative of what happens on Sunday morning. We can't just do the message. It has to be the whole service. So even that is part of us in the learning curve as we go. Um, One of the things that we're talking about is just, okay, so we got lights like, this is a cool little thing. You guys remember the hexagonal things? Those are gone. And Jake and a whole crew of guys put up these cool little light strip stuff. And so here's, here's a question. How many of you have been to, like, a worship, uh, a night of worship, like, with an artist that you love or a Christian concert in the last five years, ten years? All right. So if you go to these concerts, how many of you, like, worship God at those things? Encounter God right? Um, I mean, that's even like uh, Bill and Gloria Gaither, right? Homecoming. Have you been in one of those, right? That's old school, right? If you go to these things, you encounter the presence of God. I don't know whether you notice it, but they actually use something, utilize something that makes you go, oh, huh. So one of the coolest things about going to Niagara is in the evening, they have the light show. Anybody been to the light show? Anybody been to the light show? Right? Like they shine these cool lights on. They do this whole color light thing. It's like, ooh, ah, it's like really cool. Well, you have to go. 
But why is it so cool? Because there's mist, and they shine all these lights on there, and the mist captures the light, and it's beautiful. Why is it that rock, uh, you, you talk about the rock bands of the 60s and 70s, what is one of the things that they started to do right in the beginning? They use lights. And what do you need for lights? Haze. Now, they would, they would fill the place up with smoke, and it'd be like, well, and then everybody else would be filling up with their own smoke. Um, but um, what is light? How do you capture light? You have to have something in the air. What makes a sunset beautiful? It's often because there's some kind of a cloud, there's something in the air to capture the light. Light, what rock bands learned in the 60s and 70s is light is beautiful. Well, duh. In the beginning, God said, let there be, and he said it was. So like when God says it's good, it's like awesome. But the problem is for the church these last 60 years, you can't, you can't have that because that's attached to so much stuff. Light is beautiful. Light can take your breath away. Light says or gives this hint of a creator. And when you capture light on a morning, sunrise, evening, sunset, you get into a, a worship concert and you have light as part of it, it's moving. Why? Because God made it. It's beautiful. And so we're, we're looking at this going, we're not capturing light. I mean, we're starting to use light, but we're looking at this going, to be culturally relevant, someone would come in and go, you got all these lights, but why aren't you using the haze? Because that's what's going to capture the light. And somebody who's coming from this society out there would say, why is that a thing? Like, why wouldn't you just do that? And you say, well, you got to know everything, and it's more, and it's... And so we're talking about what does it look like to introduce haze here, not fill up this room with smoke so you can't see anything. But we're talking about what does it look like, because this is cool, but when you pull haze in, it captures the light. And light is something God said is beautiful and good. God's all about colors. I'm reading through Exodus and Leviticus. God is all about colors in the temple all kinds of colors in the temple. You read about heaven, all kinds of colors in heaven. Every vision of heaven is filled with light and color. And so that's one of the things we're looking at. And the person who would come in who's from the outside, who doesn't know anything about church culture or anything, would go, why is that a deal? Why wouldn't you use it? And they'd also say this, okay, so that means it feels more like a production, but they'd also say, well, why wouldn't you also just have a dude up there on a guitar just singing? Like, why wouldn't you use it all? Not just that, not just that, but whatever, whatever works for the morning, just use it. Be free. And I think the average person out there would say, why aren't you just free to use it all? And, and we get all bound up. Like, oh, well, you know, and I don't want to let you know that. We want to pull everyone along, and the problem is it it's always gets complicated and messy because things represent things to people. And I came out of that life. I don't want anything to do with that life, and maybe that's 
you know, whatever the A, B, and C is that we're trying to do that may seem culturally irrelevant. And it, it gets hard to do this together. Another cultural relevant piece um, is this, I'll just close with this, is, uh, is one of the reasons why we're so committed to, to having Alpha, is Alpha is this place, and it is absolutely relevant right now in our culture that is filled with screaming and yelling. And where is the context where you actually get, you can have atheists, agnostics, Muslims, Hindus, uh, I'm just saying all the people that normally come to our Alphas, right? Um, Jews, um, prodigals, de-churched, unchurched, whatever, sitting around a table saying, hey, this is what I believe. Um, it creates that context. That is one of the most culturally relevant things. It's not a Sunday morning. It's a different night of the week. Uh, easier for somebody to come in the door because often people say, oh, I feel like I'm going to be struck by lightning if I come in here. Like someone who is just you know, from the outside, like, I don't know if I should be here kind of thing. And so how do we, how do we become all things to all people? And so it's, it's a, hey, let's have a meal. Well, everybody has to eat. Hey, let's just talk. We're not going to argue. Nobody wins. We got rules and all this. And, and it's a culturally relevant tool. It works. And we'll toss it out as soon as it doesn't work. Uh, we say this a lot at our church, uh, sacred cows make great hamburger. Um, so we're just not about collecting stuff. We want to pack light. And these are some of the things. One of the things we've just, ah, I won't go into that. It's, it's already time to go. Um, let me pray. Lord, uh, when, I, when I look at your word and what happened in Corinth, the church was fighting. The church had a lot of disunity because of trying to understand what to do and what not to do. I pray that you would unify us. I pray your unity would run through us. I pray that you would keep us always moving forward, making sure that we become all things to all people so that by all means we would reach some. Just one more. Protect us, God, from dumb decisions. Protect us from overcorrecting on one side or overreacting on another side. Lord, just please just, would your blessing be on our church and, and that we'd be uniform, uh, we would be unified rather in, in this heart to reach one more. Amen. As we go, if... Uh, God is, if you need prayer, and I, I don't, it has nothing to do with this message. I mean, this, this last service, someone was working out, and in the middle of their workout, they weren't planning on coming to church. They just sensed God saying, you have to go to church, and you need to ask for prayer. So if you've just been working out and you're here, come on forward. We'd love to have you. But I don't know what's going on in your life and what God may be doing, and maybe you need prayer. And it has nothing to do with lights and songs and music or whatever. That's okay. Jesus has you here, and he wants to meet with you. So we have people that would love to pray for you. Uh, just a reminder of Taste of Alpha coming up here in a couple of weeks after a church service. It just gives you an idea of what it looks like. Um, so you can figure out whether you want to invite your friends or family to that. So God bless you all. Have a great week.